You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. Hi, welcome to Nick Luck Daily. It is Wednesday the 13th of July. More reaction today to the WIP review which was published yesterday, which has been received well by by some quarters and and less well in others. Um, Newsboy the Daily Mirror, Dave Yates, is is my guest today. He will give his views shortly, but first of all, I'm joined by the Chief Regulatory Officer at the BHA, who is Brant Dunshay. Brant, thanks ever so much for joining me. First of all, the 20 recommendations that were put before the, the BHA board by the steering group. How how set in stone are they, Brandt? I know there's a, a bedding in period which is forthcoming. Is it possible that, that any outcomes of that bedding in period could see changes to, to any of these measures or are they absolutely set in stone? Yes, the board approved all the recommendations uh, unanimously and in full. Uh, what what uh, we have said um, in releasing the report yesterday is that there are obviously technical aspects that we'll need to work through in terms of the implementation of those recommendations. So uh, yes, the recommendations uh, will be implemented in full, but there will be a process collaborating with stakeholders to ensure that uh, we work through those technical issues. And I'm talking about things like uh, you know the redrafting of the guidance and the penalty framework uh, to uh, fully align with our, our rules and our, um, uh, our, our processes. Uh, and similarly, uh, we'll need to work through uh, our race day officials' processes to ensure that, that, that that's all established and establishing rules and so forth for the, for the new review panel. So uh, m- much of uh, what will happen between now and when the implementation does take effect is around finalising the technical aspects. But to answer your question, that the 20 recommendations have been approved and endorsed by the board and will be implemented. The review panel you mentioned, who is that going to be made up of and how often do you see them having to meet in order that they can assess each and every ride? So what's important to note that nothing will change with respect to the, the way the stewards um, analyse a race on a race day. Every ride will still be analysed um, with respect to use of the whip by the stewards on the race course on the race day. Uh, this review panel will most likely uh, be made up of a, of a smaller group of experienced stewards uh, that we uh, can call on uh, to um, consider the referrals and um, perform the review function. They have to be because uh, to exercise powers under the rules, they need to be the authorised persons as defined under the rules, and, and that's that, that's stewards, uh, because these matters will still be the subject of appeal to the uh, independent judicial panel. Uh, what what the steering group uh, are encouraging us to consider in in establishing this panel is to also use um, technical experts, if you like, to contribute to the deliberations that these stewards uh, may have in relation to considering these matters. So, for example, you may see uh, that some of the jockey coaches uh, that are employed across the industry may 
play a role in, in review panel sittings, etc., uh, uh, or, or other relevant uh, technical experts that um, that we, we may decide to uh, include. So uh, we expect that certainly at the very least this this review panel would be would be operating um, on a weekly basis. If you look, you know, historically at the number of offences that have been committed, uh, there's there's been roughly uh, nine or ten offences uh, a week that have been committed. Um, so, of course, this panel's responsibility is not just dealing with the breaches, but also you know, performing that view function, looking at looking at style and technique, etc., and considering whether or not uh, there's a need for, for referral for remedial training, etc. So, uh, we would expect that certainly in the early stages of implementation, this group would need to meet far more frequently than than once a week. Uh, and it will be a fluid process, and, and we'll work uh, we'll work to ensure that um, it meets as net, as often as it needs to. This bedding in process that that's been mentioned, and I'm talking here specifically with regard to the the jockeys and and the, and the PJA. When is that due to start? And during this process, are you realistically expecting any pushback from from the PJA and its members? Regarding the technicalities that you mentioned, uh, we uh, we've already started conversations with the PJA and, and some jockeys um, collaboratively. So uh, the actual bedding in process um, that we refer to will be the largely will be the period um, around when we um, implement the the new framework. Um, and so what we what what the steering group felt was important was that there was a transition period rather than having a cliff edge date when the industry says this is when the new framework applies from uh, they want to ensure that jockeys have an opportunity to adjust their style and technique uh, before um, taking perhaps what might be considered a draconian approach where you just simply um, impose sanctions from one uh, one day to the next so uh, as as has been commented already in the in the media, uh, you know, s some jockeys have, have have already sort of said publicly, well, you know, irrespective of when the implementation date is, at any time now we can start to consider our style and technique and and um, start to ride, um, you know, in a way that it may be more like what the future framework um, will look like and and. You know, we're, we're working with the jockey coaches, we're working with the racing schools um, to ensure that that support's there um, between now and when the implementation happens. But, but specifically regarding the bedding in period, what we're, what we're saying is that there will need to be a transition. This, this um, new framework can't happen from uh, you know, a specific date without ensuring that when it does take effect, there is a period of time for the jockey to adjust. The implementation of a disqualification rule has, has caused some concern, particularly from, from bookmakers, with regard to the implementation on the day and how long that is likely to take. Can you give some clarity as to, to what that process will look like? Yes. So, you know, again, in terms of process and procedure, this is all to be... Um, determined and worked through during this, this period of technical discussion uh, as we build up the implementation plan. However, 
the steering group uh, were very mindful of this particular issue. Uh, they went through a series of deep dive sessions to understand all the possible issues. And, uh, you know, I presented to the steering group on, on um, you know, possible consequences of issues relating to disqualification, uh, you know, whether that be within our own domestic betting market or how that might impact international uh, betting markets through such things as, you know, product sharing arrangements with, with overseas jurisdictions or things like the world pool. Um, so those, those issues were front and centre of mind for them and, and that, you know, was, was a relevant consideration, I believe, in the steering group determining what the number should be where disqualification uh, is triggered. So presently the stewards have a process or a procedure um, in relation to, relation to uh, interference inquiries where their number one priority prior to clearing the race is determining whether or not there's the possibility of an interference inquiry, stewards inquiry, um, uh, and they will um, consider that uh, in those that, that, that first moment or two after the, the race has been concluded. Um, so the procedures that will be put in place will similarly replicate that so stewards focus will not only now be fixed on you know has there been some form of interference which will require a stewards inquiry um they'll also be looking for those egregious or you know um uh, offenses that may uh, trigger a disqualification as provided by uh, this new framework so uh yes there's work to do with the with uh, the stewards to ensure that that can happen in a in a timely fashion um, but it's worth noting that we have different resources at our disposal now for dealing with something like this. So, you know, we have we have capacity to use um, remote technology to to um, support the stewards on the day at the race course, and and have additional people reviewing this in real time. So, you know, the, those sorts of things uh, will be will be considered in the round in terms of uh, developing the procedure that will need to be put in place. But absolutely, it's acknowledged by the steering group and by the BHA in, in implementing this recommendation that there must be an absolute priority on ensuring that if there is the likelihood of a disqualification um, breach being triggered, it is identified immediately and dealt with before the official result is announced. Okay, largely the plan is for it to fit within the current framework for, for disqualification as we know it on the race course. Yes, that's right. Okay. Um, the, just to come back to the, to the survey that ran, um, something Dave Yates joined me this morning, I know something he wanted to, to reference, was the, the amount of responses that were received to the, the online public survey which ran for, for 70 days. Was yeah. just over 2,000 responses enough? And, and realistically, did you expect more, Brad? Uh, I personally expected uh, a large number more. We were very thorough in promoting this, um, not just within the industry uh, domestically here in Britain, but internationally. Uh, we promoted it through um, channels outside of racing as well. Uh, we even used um, various uh, methods of paid uh, social media advertising to, to get the message out that, that, that was 
was there and that people could respond to it. So, yeah, we did. Yes, we did expect that there would be more responses than there were. Uh, but the number we received is the number we received, and and that was what uh, the independent analytical firm uh, worked with to to um, come up with a, a package of an info pack that the steering group were able to consider. The need for further review is into the whip and its effects on the horse is, is, is mentioned a few times in the, the report. The 2011 whip review concluded that the whip stimulates a horse and should not cause pain and, and it, the BHA states that remains its position. So why then the need for, for more investigation and what if further investigation um, concludes something different to the current findings? So on this point, it's, uh, it's worth referencing back to the Horse Welfare Board's uh, strategic plan that was published in 2020, A Life Well Lived, um, where they, um, at that time, uh, analysed all the uh, academic research in relation to the WIP and formed the view that, that uh, there wasn't um, conclusive evidence uh, one way or the other. Um, but the steering group did, group did note during our most recent, their most recent deliberations that uh, you know, much of the research that um, is available in relation to the WIP has been uh, facilitated by or supported by um, those external to the industry that would uh, advocate um, for uh, the whip to no longer be used in, ra in racing for encouragement. And so what the steering group is saying is that uh, we acknowledge that the, 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 the evidence, that there is a, a lack of um, research uh, that has been supported by the industry and as a responsible regulator, the industry should uh, embark on undertaking research and funding research that can help uh, the sport better understand um, understand the the issues from an academic and scientific perspective around the world and that you know these things don't take time uh, uh, don't happen quickly they take time uh, you know developing uh, the scope for thorough uh, academic research is is the first part of a process but then with something as complex as this and um, uh, difficult as this from an ethical perspective uh, simply gaining uh, you know ethical approval to conduct some of the sort of research that might need to be undertaken is not so straightforward. And that's one of the reasons that, that there, there likely has been an absence in um, research in this area. So, uh, you know, the BHA or the industry has an ethics committee, um, which has an independent chair uh, who are, uh, and, and a number of other members who are, experts in, in ethics and they've already um, expressed a view to the BHA in their submissions that um, they believe there is a need for research and uh, and I'm sure that they'll play a very uh, important role in developing whatever uh, research is undertaken and funded by the industry into the future. Brian, thanks ever so much. I really appreciate your time. Uh, you're very welcome, Tom. Thank you. Well, Dave Yates, Newsboy of the Daily Mirror, is with me. Been listening to the interview with Brant Dunshay there. Dave, what did you make of that? Well, I suppose it would surprise nobody that I'm very disappointed um, with what I've, I've read yesterday. I didn't read it the day before because the BHA didn't send it to me, and I'll come back to that uh, at the end. But um, I'd always hoped that we would avoid a situation where uh, 
runners, jockeys, owners, trainers uh, face disqualification uh, under the whip rules. And that's where we've arrived. I mean, I think one really interesting starting point with this, and the starting point has to be, the two twin starting points with this have to be uh, welfare as an issue and also public concern, because we're always being told that, uh, certainly Nick Rust always used to say, well, you know, racing has to act before Parliament acts on its uh, behalf. And I was astonished when I saw that there were just 2,147 responses to that 10-week online survey by the British Horse Racing Authority. Um, I responded to it. I hope that lots of other people did too. But um, Brant Dunshay said that uh, the, the BHA advertised that effectively and uh, did so with the help of... Um, of an agency that would that would take it to a wider audience well if that's the case then how come just just over or just under in fact 31 people per day managed to make it through the doors um, that su- that suggests to me that it's not quite as big an issue in uh, british society perhaps as, well, as it, people in racing are inclined to think it is one of two things i suppose isn't it either the advertising agency didn't do a very good job or ultimately people weren't that interested in the subject matter well that, that is either of those is possible tom and you know it the it, it is possible i i must concede that it's possible that maybe the agency didn't do a very good job but the, the numbers are you know brandon shea admitted himself he expected a good deal more uh, responses than they got 2147 to, to say that that's underwhelming is a huge understatement from a welfare perspective the position of british horse racing is that the Prokush whip and i'm sorry if i offend people by calling it that but it's that's its brand name that's what distinguishes it from that those nylon and leather jobs that you get um, in saddleries, uh, the position is that that doesn't cause pain and of itself doesn't present a welfare issue. In horse racing, if a jockey doesn't use the whip and just pushes out with hands and heels, they're very likely to land themselves in front of the stewards. Um, I I think that that the new rule of going 11 in flat racing or 12 uh, over jumps and that then facing disqualification, I think that that's the nonsense. And I think it's going to lead us down some very, very... Uncut to some very uncomfortable situations. Imagine the Grand National, uh, the five to one favourite has just won by 10 lengths, and then there is a protracted stewards' inquiry that's uh, shown to the nation via ITV. Uh, there is a 12th strike. The jockey insists that that has made contact with his boot and not with uh, the horse's flank. Um, it, it just seems to be a nonsense. We could go back to the, the Derby of 2001 when High Chaparral beat Hawkwing by a couple of lengths. Now, 12 lengths back in third that day was Moon Ballad. We're not not a million miles away from a situation, as far as I can read in the rules, uh, that that Moon Ballad could have been declared the winner of the 2001 derby, in the the sense that I, I read the report in full last night, and it doesn't seem to address or outlaw uh, the possibility of, uh, of two jockeys being disqualified in a race. So, But just to, surely, Dave, that's, um, you know, the, the rules weren't in place for the Grand National. They weren't in place for, for said derby. And, and therefore, 
I mean, the, the reality surely is a bit like Sir Mark Prescott suggesting in his interview with, with Lydia Hislop a few years ago at Goodwood doing the rounds currently on social media. Um, surely it's just not going to happen. It, hall, jockeys in these big races, they won't go four times over because they will know the punishment and the outcome and therefore they're not going to go anywhere near it, surely. Right. Well, that, that's that, that is the BHA and the and presumably the steering group's thinking that this basically is the, is like the it's like a nuclear deterrent. It's there, uh, but it's there. It's designed never to be used. Now, you may well be right with that. Time will tell. Um, we talked about this yesterday, and and we I told you the figure of um, races in 2021, which on the numbers and without the threat of disqualification in 2021, I completely, uh, completely concede that that was 120. There are 120 races in 2021, uh, in which the winning jockey went four strokes over the seven or the eight. Now, yes, of course, with the, with the threat of disqualification, we wouldn't expect 120 races uh, to, to, um, to figure in disqualifications once the, the new rules come into being. However, we will see with that, Tom. I don't know, but um, I think it's a big risk to take. And I think another point that's worth making, um, I, I've mentioned, you know, does it, does it serve welfare well we've talked about the starting point that let's face it uh, it's a point that i've made ad nauseum over the years uh, the biggest threat to equine welfare is when horses race at full tilt uh, three of them lost their lives as a result of racing at newmarket last friday that to me is it, I, i've always thought that in this issue that it's a case of not seeing the wood for the trees now in terms of um whether this makes the results fairer to punters, to bookmakers. I, I, we'll see whether um, disqualifications do happen. I'd be I'd be very surprised if there aren't some in the first year that uh, the new rules come into operation. Um, in the in the report, there is a talk about uh, racing's customer base being at the core or near the core, I suppose, alongside equine welfare when it comes to. Um, reframing the whip rules well will it help racing's finances my belief is that if there are disqualifications um it will damage racing's finances and and finances which as we know are already in a parlor state um the, the idea i know from you know julie harrington and other people at the bha is that uh, this will in some way encourage more people to get into the sport i i think that even if those people exist then i think that that's going to be extremely marginal and i think there will be more than counterbalanced by punters leaving the sport and that's not to mention world pool betting um this is seen as the the lifeline to british racing which uh financially is on its knees at the moment uh, crowd attendance numbers are dropping through the floor um Horses are leaving the sport in droves, particularly those second tier of horses, if you like, the ones who are on the way up. Uh, they are going abroad um, in in their hundreds. Now, the um, World Pool Betting was supposedly there to address this. Any disqualifications, if and, and in fact, any further draconian revisions of the whip rules you will very soon find that punters in hong kong and japan and japan who 
are there as part of whirlpool Beck, whirlpool betting to to try and shore up british racing's finances you will find very quickly that they turn their backs on British racing. Talk to any jockeys who have ridden there. Jamie Steer, in fact, the man who came up with these arbitrary, unscientific numbers of seven and eight in 2011, he used to tell jockeys in Hong Kong, make sure that punters see you using the whips because otherwise they, they, will, they don't think they'll be getting value for uh, the money that they're spending on betting. And well, we're still going to be using the whip, Dave. The, the, the... Yeah, I understand it's in the backhand position, but the I mean the whip is is still going to be in use, and and at the at the permitted level, it, it's it's currently in use at. I, I guess your so your concern is purely if if it comes to disqualification. If it comes to disqualification, and if there are further revisions, yeah, then um, it will hit racing in the in the in the pocket because whirlpool betting punters who who are betting into those pools will not be interested. They'll just wait for the next race from Happy Valley. So, can I just numbers? I, I, I know you don't like it. So, ever since I've worked in the sport, that's what I've known. Um, I, I would argue they provide being able to use the, the whip up to seven times on the flat and eight times over jumps provides clarity and consistency. For all, I totally see the argument that uh, it's, it's, it's a more nuanced game than that. And riding a finish is, yes, it's more nuanced than that. But as far as being able to implement rules, I, I would vote for clarity and consistency, which I think numbers provide. Yeah, but again, with the numbers, you haven't got consistency, I would say, because... Um with regard to uh the the the, the force it, there's just there's more to there's more to evaluating um a the, the the welfare issue caused by the prokush whip uh, than than just simply counting to to seven or eight um that takes no account of the force used. And yes, I know that the, the report on Tuesday made reference and welcome reference, as far as I'm concerned, to the, to the other offences that are on the statute book. I think those offences in the past have been uh, given scant attention by the stewards who are just sitting there counting. But it, it's, it, in terms of um, equine welfare, seven, seven hits, seven strikes with the whip, uh, that are within the rules in terms of excessive force, but are, if I can use this phrase, full-blooded, and pronounce it correctly, full-blooded um, strikes with the whip, they are different to what, to, 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 to say, seven flicks, seven taps that are not of that force. I, I think you use the word nuance, Tom, and it's much it's much, much more nuanced than just being able to count to eight. Um, you know, I, I know that the numbers have been adopted in other countries in the world. I'm well aware of that. But um, they're not used, for example, in, in Hong Kong, Japan, Singapore, whereby the, the, the jockey's use of the whip is, is looked at by the stewards in the round, including um, at, at every, at every one of the uh, offences that... Uh, that we have on our books in terms of time to respond, uh, place, excessive force, whether the horse is in contention or whether the horse is clearly winning. Um, and, and, and 
they're looked at without reference to just simply counting to seven or eight. I've always seen that as unscientific. I've always seen it as arbitrary. I've always seen it as a red herring. And my position on that isn't going to change. I, I guess that they would be jurisdictions that probably aren't subject um, to the same external pressures that perhaps we are in in this country. Can I just come back to the the the, um, the point you made about... On, 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 that, on that subject, Tom, I, I, you know, I, I completely acknowledge that... Um, that that British racing is under pressure, and that's why I think that it needs strong leadership to to outline and and make clear the ethical boundaries uh, under which horse racing takes place. And um, again, another a positive in the uh, in the report yesterday was the fact that. Um, it makes multiple mentions of of the need to explain uh, to uh, to the racing public what what the Prokush instrument is, how it's used, etc. Et That's something that I was that, that I called for in 2011. I always said that in 2011, the uh, the different whips, the development of the whips down the ages, they should have had a press conference with uh, Fred Archer's whip from the uh, 1870s going through the 20th century and to the the Prokush whip that we use today. They didn't do that, and I, I welcome uh, that that, uh, that that aspect of the of um, the the whip report yesterday. But again, I think that's a case of too little, too late. That's something that should have happened over a decade ago, and much as they would deny this the the BHA weren't sufficiently interested in or committed to doing that I wanted to come back to the the review panel that it sounds from what you're saying uh, as if that that is something you welcome yeah I think that's I think that's good I mean my 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 ideal um would be a a panel again I mean I, I don't suppose that we can afford this and if things go the way I suspect they might do, then we certainly won't be able to afford it in the future. But I would like, I mean, I, I prefer, much as much as I, I admire the people over the decades who have given their time uh, for nothing before um, professional stewarding came into being uh, in different parts of the country and at different race courses, I think that um, the, the principles of, of clarity and consistency that you mention are best served by um, a central panel of stewarding full stop but certainly with regard to the whip my ideal situation would be uh, seven days you, you know you start at one and you, you you start before the first and you finish after the last race and you look at every jockey's whip use in the round and you, 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 you act accordingly uh, without the need to uh, get your fingers out and count up to seven eight nine ten eleven twelve not that people have twelve fingers I get that except for one well. of the eight's wives <laughs> yes, I, I wasn't going to get geographical there either. Um, what, so, right, what, what, is the, what does the outlet look like, Dave? What, 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 how do you want to finish up your, your, your view on this? And, and what do you see the, the, the forthcoming months looking like in, until these rules actually come into effect? Right, well, they're due to come into effect, I think, in the autumn. Uh, according to the report that there's one there's one thing that with the the clarity issue tom that i'm i'm not completely sure that we're going to get consistency and clarity with this and one of the reasons for that or the reason for that is that um the stewards must decide that on the flat 11 strikes have taken place and 12 over jumps but then they must decide that the jockey and i quote willfully sought to gain an advantage through misuse of the whip so that's another 
Would, would they have made, would they have said uh, at Aintree last April that gentleman amateur rider Sam Whaley Cohen, riding for uh, his father Robert, willfully sought to gain advantage through misuse of the whip? Well, we will see. Um, but in terms of the next few months, um, I think there will be a pushback from the jockeys. I don't know quite how that's uh, going to manifest itself, but I suspect that uh, despite what's been said publicly over the last, um, well, just under 24 hours, that um, feelings are running pretty high in the weighing room over this. Um, I, I, I personally doubt they will be able to get rid of uh, this, the disqualification clause because that's the, that's the headline of the, of the report, isn't it? That's the headline change. That's the headline ruling. Um, I, I hoped with all my heart that, uh, that as a nuclear option, we never see it. But if we do, and if we if we see it in the situations that I fear on uh, the biggest stages, the biggest races of all, not not only it, it will cause racing an awful lot of damage. It will hit racing's finances. Um, it will it will make it look a laughing stock in some cases. When as I as I've mentioned, my my. Uh, theoretical uh, situation when a whole nation has backed uh, the grand national winner and then find out that they've lost their money. Um, I, th I think that I, I see, I see torrid and, and difficult times ahead for this. I, I don't think it's going to uh, bring another audience into the sport. I think generally people who don't like racing or don't really racing doesn't appeal to them people who are ambivalent towards racing i don't think this will pull them in i come from a family i'm the youngest of four brothers the other three would not watch one race including the grand national uh, from one year to the next but not one of them has ever said to me i disapprove of the industry that you're involved in um and i don't think these changes will uh, pull people in as i say i, I don't think they sort of um I don't think they serve equine welfare. I don't think they provide fairer results for bookmakers or punters. Um, I, I, I think that yesterday was a very sad day. Right, to the United States we go, and to news that penny breakage on Kentucky racing will begin on the 15th of July. Um, the body behind that is the Thoroughbred Ideas Foundation. They got the, the ball rolling with regards to this, and their executive director is Pat Cummings, a regular on the, the podcast, effectively, who joins me now. Pat, first of all, for anyone that, that doesn't know what penny breakage is, just tell us a bit more. So in the history of American paramutual wagering, Tom, and thanks for having me again, the, uh, the, the payouts have always been rounded down. So if, if a horse is, if, if the mathematics in the paramutual tote pool worked out such that your $1 bet was going to return you $5.19, that would always get rounded down to $5.10. Uh, and the customer, you know, had to deal with it. In some states, it might be rounded down to five dollars on the five dollars even. Um, that's going away in Kentucky. They passed a law here that was advocated by our organization for the last three or four years, um, with varying degrees of of uh, acknowledgement and receipt. I think from the legislators that, that needed to do something, but. There was a greater paramutual taxation review in Kentucky, and this became a part of the bill, which is to pay all paramutuals winning debtors essentially a full dividend. So if that 
today now pay $5.18, you would get the full $5.18. When you add this up over time, it is significant. It is more than just loose change, so to speak. In Kentucky alone, over the last five years, it's estimated that about $35 million has been retained. And for what it's worth, breakage is retained at the point of the bet taker. So whomever is taking the bet and putting it into the tote system, that is the entity that gets to keep the breakage. And for the most part, it is money that is pulled out of the system and it doesn't necessarily get back into it or it doesn't necessarily get to everyone. And so now that money is going back into the hands of winning customers and we're incredibly excited and hoping to trend going forward. So if, if punters are, are, are empowered to, to play in Kentucky more because their, their takeout is higher, is that to Kentucky's benefit? And therefore, do you feel Kentucky might just be the, the first of many or at least hope that's the case? All other things equal, Tom, the answer is yes. Um, is it possible that other tracks decide to raise some of the, the takeout fees within a rate that they're permitted to do? They can. That would be a, a diabolical move, uh, right, to, to negate some of the effect. But at the end of the day, any point in time in history, uh, the rules can change, the rates can change, uh, race courses, operators, they can choose to charge more for betting. And it doesn't necessarily take a change in one law that's going to pay out penny breakage to inspire them to say we need to be charging our customers more. Um, so it's as if that, yes, you know, other decisions could be made that uh, try to take more money away from the players. But for this one, the player's a winner. Mm-hmm. And for that, we're incredibly happy and hope that more operators start paying attention to the need to price their product appropriately we're in a remarkably competitive environment here. The race for adding sports betting, for iGaming, uh, legalizing and regulating other forms of gaming, is, it, it's, it's an absolute, um, it, it, it's an all-out, uh, it's a buffet, Tom, right? It, <laughs> there, is, there is gambling in so many ways in so many states, and more and more states are coming on board. Uh, racing has to compete, and pricing is one of those ways uh, that it needs to. And the prices have simply been bloating too much over time. All right, two other things I, w- I want to run by you and get your comment on. First of all, the the sentence handed out to, to Dr. Seth Fishman, which we covered briefly on the pod yesterday. Um, what, what's the reaction to that been like over there? This is the most substantial sentence that's been handed down yet, 11 years to Fishman. Um, he is, we, we've now had almost uh, a third of all the defendants in this cases, in, in the various assorted cases from those indictments back in the beginning of 2020, uh, a third of the defendants have now been sentenced. Fishman is the longest. His trial um, was really, I, I think to date, uh, really it's been the only, uh, the only full trial that's gone to completion. Uh, because we had um, many of the defendants have pled out. So I think it's certainly a sign that um, if you do go to trial, your chances are not good to begin with, but here's the penalty that's been handed out to one of the the key members of this uh, conspiracy. And we're still waiting on on service, right? He's the the main big name still awaiting trial? Correct. Trainer Jason Service uh, is still planning to go to trial, that's not likely to happen, I believe, until we've now pushed into early 2023, so there is still more to 
come. There are still more defendants who have already pled guilty, and they are awaiting sentencing. Uh, and there's still more information that's coming out about this case that, that is really interesting. It has a lot of other tentacles and other areas of not just thoroughbred racing, but other other uh, sides of the, of the sport. So um, I, I think there's still a lot of, of information we, we still don't have yet, but more is coming. And I think it's something we'll, yeah, we will certainly revisit on, on, on the pod in the in the coming months with more that comes out. Um, the other thing, your, your tweet really alerted me to this because it, it's 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 not something I considered necessarily, but there's international harmony with regard to whip rules, Pat. Who knew? You, you point out that um, the, the, the going four over, which is, will be introduced in, in the UK, resulting in disqualification, well, going four over in the US at the moment results in something similar. Not necessarily disqualification, but the loss of purse. Yeah, I, I was really struck by it when I, when I woke up and, and saw the, uh, the recommendations from the, from the report. And it is that you know, this number... Of, of four is the, the baseline that's been used in the new rules promulgated by the Horse Racing Integrity and Safety Authority. In particular, if a jockey goes one to three strikes over what our limit is, which is six, that's six for all thoroughbred races, um, there's a fine uh, that could be the greater of either $250 or 10% of purse earnings, the jockey can be suspended, and then it earns um, accumulating points towards kind of its record. Um, but once they hit four, the penalty, there's still a fine, there's still a suspension of the jockey, but the horse is disqualified from purse earnings. And so this is um, within the span of just a couple of weeks, Tom, um, some unexpected global harmony, at least at least continental harmony across uh, sharing the Atlantic Ocean. I'd say um, and, we and, have a little bit of harmony. Yeah, and how 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 have those rules gone down over there? Well, the, the jockeys guild has not generally been happy um, with the way the ISA rules have come out. Uh, they have made that known. They joined the lawsuit trying to stop it. Uh, that did not happen and has not happened yet to date, but the, the legal process is still ongoing. Um, but this is the law until it isn't, right? So this, this is what we have. Um, I would say that for the most part, though, that it doesn't seem as though many customers have noted it just anecdotally through social media. I have not noticed a significant outcry in the 10 days or so of racing that's taken place under the auspices of the authority. There is obviously no main difference, right? The horse is not being disqualified from wagering. And it also does not seem like there's anything within the documentation released by the authority that would suggest a horse would lose black tight or anything of that, uh, of that nature, that this is, is really just about the purse earnings that anyone who would be compensated, uh, as a, as a result of the race outside of the betters, uh, they, they seem to get off scot-free here, but that the, the connections would lose them up. Pat, thanks ever so much, as always. Thanks, Tom. Okay, it's Wednesday, it's Hong Kong time. Here's Jim McGrath. Hi, Nick. The season's nearly over in Hong Kong. Two race days and 20 races left. And there are still one or two surprises to come, I'm sure. 
Joe Moreira needs to up his game if he's going to catch and overtake Zach Purton, who holds a, a slender two-win lead in the jockeys' title battle. Both have some very good rides in their book of nine rides today. But I have a feeling that Frankie Law has done enough to win his first trainer's title. He's a comfortable six wins clear of his old boss, John Size. And although Size is always dangerous at this time of the year, he's one of those trainers who can keep a horse going long into the season. I think that six wins is an almost impossible gap to make up at this late stage. I'm tipping the Magic Man can win at least three on today's card. He's got E-Legend in race number seven. That's a class three race over a mile and one furlong. E-Legend tries 1,800 metres, all that trip for the first time, and he's up from class four. But However, he has a very light weight. He's got 117 pounds, which is eight stone five, and the Magic Man takes over from Zach Purton. So this could be a pivotal moment. This is one of Zach's rides, but he can't make the weight. So E-Legend to go in. So race seven, number 11, E-Legend, to beat number one, looking great, which is Zach's ride. That's the top weight. So 11 to beat one in race number seven. Joe Moreira has also got Sugar Sugar in race four for Casper Founds. This is a, a first ride, first time ride for him and a good one too. And later on in race eight, he's got number six, Excellent Piers. Now looking for Zach's best, I'd say race five. That's number four, Blissful Star, who has to start from 11, which is awkward from the uh, 1650 meter start. Only a short run to the first turn, but I tip him to beat number two, Moreto. So four to beat two in race number five. That's our last regular Hong Kong piece on the Nick Luck Brock podcast for this season. I hope you've managed to back a winner in Hong Kong over the past few months. But it's time to recharge the batteries, replenish the pumping bank and to look forward to next season, which starts in September. Good luck to you all. Right, Dave Yates is back with me. You can send us away with a winner, please, Dave. Right, well, we're going to Great Yarmouth, the 8.20 race this evening. The Bazooka Handicap, uh, number 12, Torius, won over this course and distance two starts ago and then was beaten again over six furlongs at Yarmouth in a classified state. Both those runs for Laura Pearson at the bottom of the weights here and I hope can return to winning ways. 8.20 race at Great Yarmouth selection is number 12, Torius. That was Wednesday the 13th of July. Speak tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.